What up, Slap Nuts? This is the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett, and you're listening to the Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Hello, this is Linda Richmond with Coffee Talk. You're listening to another <laughs> episode of Coffee Talk, where we talk coffee and a lot of other stuff, including Barbra Streisand, and it makes me feel the clamped. With me is my co-host, Christina. Christina, how you doing, honey? I think this tuna sandwich is very dry. Really bothering me. Is it on ripe bread? It should be always on ripe bread, okay? I can't believe you went along with it. I thought you weren't going to do it, but I appreciate that. I like that tuna sandwich. (laughs) Hey, guys, how's it going? This is another wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Well, we talk wrestling and what's going on last week and uh, what's going on in the future and everything. We're like Doc Brown and Marty. I'm probably Marty. So to my Marty, let me introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Doc Brown. I mean, Christopher Ray Patton. Hey, man. Uh, how's everyone doing out there? Really excited to talk about some wrestling this week. I'm uh, drinking a cold beer just for life status update. And uh, how are you, Dane? How are things going on your end? They could not be better, actually, Chris. I am very relaxed at my house and uh, excited to talk about some wrestling. And, uh, yeah, that's about, that's all I got right now. It's, uh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I'm playing too, too much video games today. It, it was cool, actually. Um, I'll, I went over and visited my dad in Decatur. Um, and, by the way, I live in Georgia, and I'm about 45 minutes away from where my, my pops lives, if for anyone trying to figure this out of what the hell I'm talking about. But, anyways, Chris... Um, and last night we watched the Bruno San Martino documentary, or part of it, and then also watched a couple matches. And it was fun to show him matches that he hasn't watched since he was a child, uh, because he was a big Bruno fan. But uh, I thought that was pretty neat. Dude, that sounds awesome. Uh, you guys should have sent me an invite. I would have drove up to Decatur and uh, watched some Bruno matches, especially after the long conversation we had about Bruno last week. Yeah, it, it, it was great that they were able to make a documentary that quickly, and they kind of cut up a lot of stuff, but it was uh, not stuff I didn't already know, but uh, pretty informative stuff, so I would definitely recommend if you guys want to check out. I'm sure that there's a lot of wrestling fans. You know, We're going to talk about more wrestlers uh, throughout the years of us doing this, if you will, that you might not know, and that's the wonderful thing about the network is that you hear the name, we kind of explained a little bit, and then you can go and investigate, but... Uh, he loved the Roddy Roddy Piper stuff that they have on there. Uh, those are two of his favorite wrestlers. So, uh, you know, uh, that's what's great about the network. And I feel like we're getting paid to talk about it, but I'm just doing this because I'm trying to remember where we're going in the conversation of the show because I'm organized like that, Chris. So, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about redemption. Yes, guys, we're going to be covering uh, uh, some impact wrestling. I was actually – for the most part, uh, pleasantly surprised, I'll say, uh, with with the card. And um, I like a lot of the stuff that, since Don Callis has come in, you know, I feel like I said the same thing not too long ago about Jim Cornette and then beforehand. But still, Don Callis now coming in for creative. And actually, having him along with Josh Matthews for commentary was a, was a plus. I think they actually were a pretty damn good team uh, since they don't have Jeremy Borash anymore. But I thought Chris... Overall, this wasn't bad. I think that the one thing that a lot of people will go to is a couple of the botches uh, that happened, especially in this first match with Aerostar and Drago, 
But it seemed to me like maybe the ropes were slick or something because it happened whenever someone was trying to springboard in certain areas of the ring. And it screwed up, you know, a couple spots. And they, they recovered well, but it was definitely noticeable compared to, like, a more polished product, if you will. Uh, but how did you feel about the, the pay-per-view uh, from what you saw? Uh, overall, I, you know, I didn't see every single second of this because I had to watch some of it uh, throughout the day-to-day. But for the most part, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I like they're getting Lucha Underground more involved with Impact, even if it's, you know, the small amount they're sprinkling in here or there. I think the big start, the the big difference is probably just going to be the, the tightness of the ring ropes uh, versus like you know the lucha style versus you know impact, um, and a lot of those scenarios. There's yeah. a there's a classic story where you have Jim Cornette talking about Al Snow's first, um, I guess his audition, so to speak, for WWE, where they use they I don't know if they still do, but at the time they they used actual ropes like. Uh, you know, actual ropes versus like a rope with a wire in the middle of it. So at the time, Al, Al Snow was, you know, hitting springboards off this flex, flexed wire versus actual ropes. And when he went to do his, uh, his moonsault spot in his audition match, he like, you know, fucked up pretty bad because it's just completely different. So I think some of that is, is probably just either the tightness of the ropes or the different types of ropes they're using between the different companies. Um, and I guess we're going to get into that match next. But overall, I, I thought it was a pretty fun show. Um, there's definitely some down spots that I'm sure we're going to get into that I wasn't a huge fan of. But um, just having some of these guys in, like a uh, Pentagon Jr., um, and obviously this opening match, which was pretty much straightforward Lucha Underground match for the most part, uh, yeah. I actually really enjoyed. And... Um, Obviously, there's some things that I didn't like, but some things that I did like, there's a lot of, like, who I would consider some classic stars, such as Tommy Dreamer, um, who showed up on the card, and then uh, kind of a surprise later we'll get into that I I wasn't really expecting because I haven't kept up. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just jump into it unless you have any other thoughts. No, let's jump right into it. Okay, uh, let's get to the first match. Um, I'm pretty sure the list I have is out of order. Uh, but it's saying it's in order, so I'm hoping it is. If not, we'll have to just go by what this says and just go over each match, Chris. So if they come out out of order, I apologize. But uh, the first match I am pretty sure was Aerostar against Drago, and Aerostar won the match. Uh, these guys are both awesome luchadors, and that's why, like, this is where one of those things happen where I think it, in, both in the same place, even Josh Matthews was like, well, maybe it's Slick over there or something. But it happened, but there's still, I know both these guys can wrestle their ass off, or, or Lucha Libre, I should say, their asses off. Um, and it was pretty good back and forth, uh, 11 minutes and 45 seconds, uh, not too damn bad. Uh, how did you feel about that match, Chris? I think they, because of the, because of some of those spots, they slowed the match down a bit, but I, I did think it was a good opener, and I, I think the crowd was into it overall. Um, they did a good job of slowing the pace down and then going back into more of the Lucha style. So overall, I thought it was a, you know, a pretty good opening match. I mean, I'm not going to give it a star no. rating or anything, but I didn't hate it, you know. I thought it was pretty decent. I like the uh, finish where, uh, you know, Aerostar hit a cutter and then he, he hit that flying code breaker towards the end. I yeah. thought that was kind of a cool little little finish for, for you know, a 12-minute match. For, for what it was, I thought it was really good. 
That is one thing I wanted to ask you. I'm so glad that you said Codebreaker. If you noticed, every fucking match, someone used a Codebreaker. I swear to God on this. That was one of my biggest critiques. It's like, really? Another Codebreaker spot? But I, I should have listed it because I remember seeing it. I think Allie does it in her match. Um, happens. I think, I think Matt Sedell does it in his match. Not 100% sure, but I remember seeing it constantly. Like, all right, guys, we need to like, learn some more moves other than the code breaker. I really do like the code breaker. Or maybe it was, maybe it was uh, the zigzag. One or the other, I remember constantly seeing throughout the thing. I'm pretty sure it was a code breaker. Either way, uh, yeah. Yeah. How does Drago, how, how does Drago's tongue, like, how did the hell does he do that? I, I have no idea. You'd have to ask Drago. Maybe it'd be a very awkward conversation. <laughs> but uh, what if you try to lick me with that thing? I don't know, man. That'd be it'd be pretty awesome. Uh, what I will say, you, you get the same thing in WWE with uh, the Sling Blade, especially if you get a match between Finn Balor and Seth. Oh Rollins, yeah, ridiculous super kicks when you get two people that both use super kicks. Uh, that's so a good point. I think that's just kind of where just kind of where we are in modern wrestling. A lot of these moves are. I mean, how many moves are there in the world? You know what I mean? Like, you're gonna how, get many, how many so notes? I, I didn't have, you know, man. I, I didn't. Yeah, exactly. This was just like when people are like, "Well, he's just doing the blues pentatonic scale." It's like, yeah, but he is playing a blues song, so I don't really know. But yeah, so you get what I'm saying. I, I don't get hung up on yeah. that as much, but I agree. There were there were definitely. Um, there were definitely a couple spots that got repeated in matches, which it's you know it's fine. You could you could if you really wanted to critique WWE, um, you could do the same thing on any, especially any combined pay per view where you both get SmackDown and. Uh, oh yeah. I think you're right though about that. It's like the Sling Babe would be on WWE, and of course Ring of Honor. Actually, WWE too. You'd see a million super kicks in one night. So. Pretty much the same thing. Well, let's go to, I think, one of our favorite uh, matches, not because it was that good, but just because it was so fucking ridiculous. Uh, before the match, actually, we had the LAX uh, normal, like, gathering at the table uh, where Santana and Ortiz were talking back and forth, and they're like, you know, where's K-Dog and stuff like that? And they get a phone call. Someone has him. They're holding him hostage. These guys got to get on stage. I will say TNA, not as much as Lucha Underground, obviously, because Lucha Underground's literally episodic. But I do like that quality about it, is that it's not just like in the back with some horrible dialogue. Usually it's like a cinematic scene with some of their, you know, cut stuff. And the production, maybe not on camera angles, on the, uh, on the ring, per se, and catching stuff at the right moments like WWE. But when it comes to backstage stuff... I think they do it pretty well, and I also I said the same thing about New Japan on certain qualities of like press conferences, but I'm not going to be like WWE, you need to do this because you know they wouldn't even listen to me anyways. I think I think that Vince McMahon would try to pee on me if anything, but that would be kind of weird. But anyways, getting getting back to it, getting back on track, they're going without their mentor, without their their splinter, if you will, Michelangelo and friggin' Raphael are going to the ring. Go against Eli Drake and Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner, by the way, I believe is 56, if not older. He might be 58. Holy crap. This is really interesting. I'm not going to say it was that good. Um, I, I will say that even though obviously Scott can't perform to a level that he once could, you know, I mean, he's always been a very, very, 
a pretty damn good wrestler, way too hard hitting, obviously, but you know, he can do stuff. It was pretty impressive to see him do the Frankensteiner off the top ropes, even though it didn't work out that well. And somehow Eli Drake and him did an elbow thing. Um, you know, Scott Snyder did the muscle thing and they ended up winning this match, which was crazy. How fucking long is that going to last? And how did you like this crazy ass match with uh, big Papa pump? I mean, I actually, I absolutely loved it because it's great to see Eli Drake with Scott Steiner and just to think about the TV promos that are going to come out of this damn thing. This was a surprise to me because I haven't been, I haven't kept up with Impact the way I should the past couple weeks as far as TV goes. So I don't, I'm not sure if this just happened or I guess I missed that part because, like I said, I was watching this throughout the day today, specifically just focusing on the matches, not the the commentary. Um, but yeah, there was that that there was it was kind of ridiculous because they. It seemed like they were going to start out with a brawl, and then it just went straight to a lockup, which was kind of odd. Um, but after that, like, I thought the match was, you know, it was a, it was a quick match with some, some hard-hitting action, obviously, with Steiner being in there. They, <laughs> Frankensteiner off the top rope. It's just awesome to still see, see him do that, especially as someone that grew up as a you know, WCW fan originally um, with the Steiner brothers kind of running the show there as far as tag teams go. And... Um, I like the ending, and I think it's fun. And the great thing about it is with TNA specifically and how light the schedule is and the fact it's just TV taping, I mean, you could have you could have Eli Drake and Steiner go on a hell of a tag team run if you really wanted to. It just depends on how long they want them to be tag team champions. Um, yeah. And a lot of that's just having Steiner and Drake cut promos. So <laughs> this thing could go way longer than I'm actually expecting it to go. Uh, which, you know, it's been, that's one of the benefits about being on impact. Like it's, it's a lighter schedule. Makes sense to, that Scott Steiner's back. I guess he didn't really, I don't know if he burned bridges last time he left or, or what, but it's cool to see him and Eli Drake in a, a tag match and just think about the big bad booty daddy in there with Eli Drake and, and those two kind of going back and forth on promos. That's kind of the mo- the thing I'm looking the most forward to, but I will say it was a fun match. Um, it was short. It's only eight minutes. There wasn't any huge flaws that I saw other than the that weird lockup at the beginning, but outside of that, I, I enjoyed the match. Dixie Carter's a fat bastard! <laughs> I don't know. Maybe something like that happened. That didn't sound anything like Scott Steiner either. But, uh, yep, uh, champs, and can't be for that long, but still uh, fun for to be a part of this entertaining pay-per-view. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, they had a six-way match. I wasn't sure. Was it supposed to be a, a, a number one contender for the X Division, I was assuming? I don't think they, they explained, but either way, Brian Cage defeated Desmond Xavier, DJZ, uh, Phantasma, Ishimori, and Trevor Lee. It was, it was a fun match. I mean, these, these type of things, when you take on more people, they can become a clusterfuck, and there were certain parts where that kind of happened. But they had this weird rule where if, it was like luchador style where everyone had um, a place corner. And if you were in the ring, if you fell out of the ring, then a person could go in, uh, jump in and stuff like that. So interesting concept. Uh, I like Brian Cage a lot. I think he's awesome. I think he's athletic as hell. Uh, but I can't remember them exactly, but there was a couple spots where I thought he almost killed someone uh, that I definitely remember. I, I don't know if he was, uh, he might've broken his nose actually in the match because someone kicked him in the face I'm pretty sure it was Ichimori, uh, just came down wrong, nailed him in the face, and he was constantly going back to his nose, and obviously that can kind of, like, screw up your whole equilibrium, obviously. So 
Um, I don't know exactly, but it was fun. Uh, I definitely really like uh, Trevor Lee. I really like Desmond Xavier. I like Brian Cage. I like all the guys in this. They're they're all entertaining uh, wrestlers for sure. Kind of want to see some of them on 205 Live, though. Obviously not Brian Cage, but you get what I'm saying. Chris, um, how did you like this match? I thought this match was really good. Um, I, I Going into it, I thought Brian Cage was going to steamroll these guys, like just straight destroy them. Um, for whatever reason, and I'm kind of glad he didn't because it turned out to be probably... Uh, I might put this up there as my favorite match of the night, honestly, but it, it was just a lot of fun to watch overall. I, I liked a lot of the spots. Uh, there was a there was a clothesline towards the end. I don't know if it was right before the finish, but right there at the end where Cage clotheslined the absolute shit out of Trevor Lee. It looked amazing. Um, I think that guy could be a huge star. I don't know if he can accomplished it impact, but I like Brian Cage a lot as well. And uh, I thought too. the match was awesome. You know, I, I thought it was really fun. It was it was cool seeing Cage against, you know, a lot of smaller high flying guys. Um, it reminded me of what they used to do with Samoa Joe in a lot of ways, and I think that's probably why I liked it. The Lucha Rules thing, um, obviously I wasn't, I, I, maybe I just didn't have a grasp on exactly what was going on, so that was a little confusing, but outside of that, you know, I, I really enjoyed the match. Yeah, I would not have had any idea what the hell was going on if they didn't explain it. Uh, finally, at one point, because I was like, what is what is this? They're like, this is luchador rules. And I was like, I think I've actually said that with certain lucha matches. I think when I watched uh, Triple uh, or yeah, Triple Mania, uh, I was like, how the hell is this working out? But that even that makes sense. Uh, well, it's it's not the, the smartest way, but I get what they're going for, just to keep it so it's two guys in the ring at all, all times. Uh, anyways... Taya Valkyrie, uh, Kira Hogan, don't remember this match much. I really like Taya Valkyrie. I remember her. She's just, not only is she a good wrestler, but she's got a presence to her. She has charisma to her. She knows how to act in the ring. Um, she defeated Kira Hogan, but I think the biggest thing about this was Tessa Blanchard coming out and getting on commentary with Josh Matthews and uh, Don Callis and explaining to him that, Don had signed her basically uh, to Impact. So we heard rumors she was going to NXT, and she showed up on Impact. So that's kind of I don't know if she picked between the two, and or the WWE stuff was just bullshit. But she's definitely no matter what a huge uh, plus, uh, a great a great get if you will, because she's a great wrestler, and uh, she was showing off some pretty good commentating so at some points it could kind of like a little bit more weak like I knew that you didn't believe what you're saying but she's trying to be heelish and uh yeah I mean it's Tully's uh, daughter so uh looking forward to seeing her mess with Ty Valkyrie and and blood and uh blood bloody Mary uh Rosemary and uh Allie and all the other uh female competitors uh Chris how did you feel about this match I actually enjoyed this match um I bet you were going to think I was going to come in here and crap on this match, but I, honestly, I thought it was pretty decent. I, I did like the commentary spot with Tessa. Um, from from all the signs I see, she's going to be on the indie scene for a little bit longer. Not that I consider Impact indie, but she uh, signed later, which I guess we're going to talk about, to, to All In. I think she was one of the people on that list. So I don't know how that would work out with WWE. I guess if she signed, she would still be able to work that date. Um, but it looks like yeah. she's... Know, maybe a fixture and impact for a little bit, at least, it, at least for the, the, you know, next two or three months or whatever. But uh, 
very intriguing because I had been hearing the same rumors as you as far as it was pretty much a done deal with Tessa Blanchard showing up in, in NXT at some point, uh, especially with, I guess, you know, Ricochet being there. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, not to take away from the match, I I like the finish. Um, Taya Valkyrie doing a Fisherman Suplex, I appreciate. I think it's a great finishing move. I don't want to see everyone doing it, and I still think that there's room for, you know, certain wrestlers who don't have good finishes, a lot like a Bailey to hit a top rope fisherman suplex for a pin. That'd be fucking awesome. But yeah, uh, overall, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun match. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to put it on the same level as like a Oscar versus, you know, Charlotte player or anything, but it, it was fun to watch. And it was pretty short. I think it was like only like eight minutes. And that's one thing I will say about these matches is they, coming from, like, WrestleMania, where the matches were really short, but there was a lot of them, this pay-per-view, there weren't a lot of matches, but they were still almost TV time, if you know what I mean. Like, you're, like, 8 minutes, 12 minutes, 13 minutes, very short, concise, got their spots in, got out, kind of thing. Um, at least for these opening matches we're talking about. Even the uh, even the last match we talked about with Triple E and Brian Cage and those guys was only, like, 13 minutes long or something, like, maybe, maybe 14 or 15, but it was, it was still, for what I would think it's kind of a big match um but yeah it was 12 minutes and 45 seconds actually keep on forgetting i have that option to be able to see it and uh, that one with uh ty valkyrie was eight minutes and five seconds um yeah i'm just completely going off rough notes (laughs) so if i'm wrong my bad i'm just kind of kind of going off what i kind of remember from the matches for no but that's good because you're usually like really really close I'm just, uh, you know, trying to get that detail. Anyways, my outside L, PD Williams, for the X Division Championship, um, went 11 minutes and 35 seconds. What? 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Sorry. Um, this was actually a pretty, I think, pretty good back and forth match. A lot of cool spots. Um, these guys are both pretty damn good wrestlers. I was hoping PD Williams was going to actually pick it up. Uh, just be, It's kind of pointless because Matt's like the current champion. He's, you know, well, I mean, he's been doing this for a minute, obviously, but PD's been in impact, you know, and this would just be like, oh, I want to break my old record, I think was the whole concept, or or something like that. But, um, yeah, Matt Seidel went, ended up going over, winning the match. And afterwards, I think the, better than the match itself, maybe, was PD was getting asked by someone in the locker room, like, you know, what happened? Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, you know, I couldn't win the match. And Scott Steiner walks by and, and basically does some weird math problem thing that he does, uh, followed by telling Petey that he needs to go back to trying to look like him uh, because when he used to dress like him, his wife, he, his wife misses it, basically, and his wife misses him looking like him, so he needs to do that to be able to get laid by his wife. Pretty damn funny. Uh, Petey popped. I don't know if that was actually supposed to happen. Um, that way, but I laughed my ass off. How'd you feel about the match and then Scott Steiner being Scott Steiner afterwards? Um, for the match for P. Williams and my side, my side, uh, Matt Seidel, sorry. Uh, apologies. I really was kind of disappointed because I've seen both these guys have amazing matches before, and it was a little Agreed. bit of a letdown as far as that goes. Um, and it's also the X Division Championship, which I kind of hold in the highest regard from my past TNA fandom. 
but, you know, I thought it was a decent match. It wasn't anything to write home about. It's not what I would expect. Usually the X Division match has been the show stealer, um, even going back through the history of TNA. So uh, it, it was okay. Um, I What was the segment you were talking about? I must have missed that. Sorry. Well, Petey Williams was getting interviewed by someone uh, following the match, basically, and getting asked, you know, what happened. He started talking about it, and Scott Snyder walked up and was like, you know, said some weird, weird mathematical thing in the roundabout way to what he was talking about. But then he started basically saying, hey, you need to look like me. You know, back when you look like me and you dress like me, your wife was happy. Your wife misses me. So, you know, if you want to win you got to start dressing like me again. He's, like, laughing his ass off. and was just like, what the fuck is wrong with Scott Steiner? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, Chris, yeah, I do Chris, remember this his, now. I, his tag I partner totally, at the last... At the, at the last thing, the Lucha versus whatever, his, it was Scott Steiner and fucking um, Bret Hart's uh, nephew, the crazy one, um... God dang it. Who does amazing flips? Teddy, oh, Teddy man, Hart? I can't remember. Yeah, the Teddy? two of them were on a team together. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Anyways, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that was typical Scott Steiner promo. I just missed the name that you dropped, so I thought maybe I'd missed the segment. But, yeah, that was awesome. It's always fun to hear Scott Steiner just start yelling stuff at people. That makes Impact way more fun. So, He's going to show up next week on the actual recorded show, which I don't know if that's the case or not, um, because the recordings versus the live pay-per-views are always a little weird, uh, especially with, like, the Alberto Del Rio stuff that they've had recently. Um, I'm down. Maybe I'll record and watch some impacts instead of just reading uh, the reviews or watching the highlights. But, uh, yeah, this show was hilarious. All right. On to our next match. Uh this, to me, has been an actual really good feud, uh, brewing up some of it naturally, which causes some of the best feuds in wrestling. But this was Ohio versus everything, Dave Chris, Jake Chris, and Sammy Callahan against Eddie Edwards, Moose, Tommy Dreamer, uh, in a House of Hardcore match. I don't know what the hell the difference is a House of Hardcore and a Hardcore match is. I think Tommy Dreamer just likes the brand stuff, uh, but that's fine. I love having Dreamer in it. He didn't do a, hell, a whole hell of a lot, but... The match with this, to me, wasn't as as big as the ending of the storyline that I've watched, heard about what happened at the taping with Sammy Callahan accidentally taking a baseball bat down and instead of hitting the chair, hitting um, Eddie in the eye. Um, and then it actually airing like a month or a half later, and then people reacting to it, like, you know, the wrestling community and freaking out about it, and him feeling jaded and kind of getting pissed off about it and using it as an advantage to come off more like heel. Um, and even him on Crash Jericho, you could tell when he was being genuine and when he was, like, laying into the character. But he was pissed about, like, how all of a sudden apparently he was a horrible worker, blah, 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 because he made one mistake, and I get that. And I think this, and even, even as much shit as, uh, as Jim Cornette talked about him, he said the one good thing was the fact that he was using uh, Twitter as a way to get him off like a heel. Then I watched Lucha versus... Um, uh, which we call Impact, and they had another match. I believe Sammy won, but it was it was another screwball finish. And in this one, uh, they ended up winning. And then afterwards, 
you know, Eddie Edwards, who's supposed to be this kind of Bret Hartish, like, you know, when I say that, it's kind of like the stoic guy that doesn't have a lot of personality. Uh, that comes off so dickish, but is a great worker and still like, you know, kind of like a baby face just naturally. Um, actually, he's a damn good worker too. So, I mean, I guess that kind of even makes more sense, but either way, and Eddie kind of handles this and goes kind of ape shit. Uh, at one part, Sam even sh- spits blood in his face as he's like whacking him over the head. God, I mean, with a, uh, what the hell, the Singapore cane, which looks horribly painful. And it was just brutal at the end. Finally, Tommy Dreamer comes in. It's like, look what you have become. And his wife comes out, and he actually strikes his wife, uh, which is something that they've done a million times in wrestling. But I thought for where the storyline was going, the match kind of lacked. I love Moose in it. I, I'm a huge Moose fan. Chris will tell you I'm a huge Moose Mark. Moose Mark. Um, I just think that he's athletic as hell, has a lot of charisma, and he's a huge dude. I'd love to see him in the WWE going against Braun Strowman is all I'm trying to say. be a lot of fun. But – uh, yeah, the match ended up kind of fizzling out towards the end, and then it, it ended up not being about the match, but about the storyline, so bringing it forward. Chris, how did you like this whole entire thing? Uh, Man, I, I mean, it was a typical, like, hardcore match, I guess, versus beat this group. Um, I have no interest in this whatsoever. And then, like, Callahan bitching about how he's not an unsafe worker and then immediately doing what he did, which we'll get into in the news. Uh, this week, kind of just like, like, what the fuck is he talking about, I guess? Um, I think Edwards is playing up the storyline well. I think Sammy's character, as far as playing more into the heel, is working well. But the match itself, I, I mean, it wasn't anything great, it was a, to be honest. No. At least that's how I felt about it, at least. There is a lot of other better matches on the show than this match. This match is Absolutely. just on the hype of Sammy Callahan bashing Eddie Edwards with a bat, which is kind of a fucked up thing to do, but I get why they did it. Yeah, we should actually just talk about that. I mean, it makes kind of sense to bring it up now, uh, but that's kind of messed up what happened. Uh, if you don't know uh, what Chris was referring to, uh, recently at some indie show, uh, Kevin Sullivan got knocked in the head when... I guess Sam Callahan threw a chair at him, had to have hit him on the side is what I'm assuming, and hit him so hard in the head it looked like he had a baseball coming out of his head. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know what the story is. Like, if that was a physical altercation after the match or something like that, or they actually had a hardcore match, because I have no clue if Kevin's still wrestling. But, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, even if it's a, another oops you know, that, that's a bad time to get an oops when you're when you're pissed off and fueled by the fact that everyone thinks that you're an unsafe worker. I don't know. I mean, uh, Chris, it, what it, do you think? It's, it's just, I mean, the thing is, is, it's, even if Kevin Sullivan was like, lay into me as hard as you can, with all the bad publicity you've already kind of gotten with this thing, if you look at Kevin Sullivan's face, it looks like he got hit with a baseball like in the side of the eye, basically. Like if you've ever taken like a fast pitch, the arm or something, that's what it looks like. Like you'd have to throw that chair with some serious speed uh, <laughs> to leave that kind of mark. I haven't been able to find the actual clip of it, so I'm not going to talk too much shit about him. But uh, it, I don't – like usually when you do the, throw, the chair throw spot, like for instance, Sabu did it all the time. Um, you kind of wait for the guy to start raising his hands before you throw the son of a bitch, and then you're not really throwing it 
as hard as you possibly can. And that's even going back to ECW. So I don't think that he's an unsafe wrestler, but some of this hardcore stuff he's been doing lately, I guess more so with his character, has definitely pointed out some flaws that I think need to be addressed where we, we, don't, we live in an age where we know what concussions are and like what this kind of shit can do to your brain, like where Daniel Bryan's almost forced into retirement. So people need to think about that and go a little lighter. There's no reason to be trying to do CZW shit and murder a dude, you know, as hard as you can with a chair or rock mankind 13 chair shots to the head. Like, it's not necessary. So I'm not going to go as far as to, like, bury him like Jim Cornette did or anything like that. But both of those spots are dumb spots. Here's a piece of crap. Like, easily avoided. Um... Especially the, the the first one with Eddie Edwards, like I don't even understand what the what the like from a wrestling standpoint, what the hell was the what was the accomplishment there by putting the chair on Eddie Edwards to begin with to hit him like it wasn't on his neck, it wasn't on his like it was like kind of on his chest, but not really like it just it looked dumb. And even if the spot would have worked and no one got hurt, it still would have looked stupid as shit. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm not gonna crap on Sammy Callahan, like I said. I'm I'm not gonna do that. I don't know the dude. I have I've watched some of the stuff in CZW, and I watched a little bit of stuff he did when he was, I guess, with Solomon Crow in NXT. Um, but to say you're not a dangerous worker, and then fucking wallop Kevin Sullivan, I guess a month, month and a half <laughs> later, kind of leads to be leads you to be a little suspect. I'm sure Kevin Sullivan said lay it in, but he didn't mean like try to take my eye out of it. Yeah, I agree. And what I will say is that that might remain to be seen basically with whether or not he's unsafe or just coincident or whatnot. But I will say that it's not good that he did this. But obviously, to some extent, even though he says that, he admitted on Chris Jericho that Eddie, you know, after him apologizing, you know, several times, obviously, and stuff like that, still went on to talk shit about it, but basically I don't blame him. I mean, he almost lost his eye. Um, but they have to, to some extent, you know, it's in the past. They're working on a storyline now because I don't think you let him get that close to him and hit him with foreign objects. If there wasn't a level in trust, like something happened bad. And I will say that in all of this, Sammy's still pretty much becoming one of the biggest heels, like, you know, in non WWE along with Cody, that people still know, even if they don't watch Impact, if they're if they're a big wrestling fan, they might know about all this shit, even though it might be coming from negative publicity. But then again, Chris, publicity is publicity. You know, you, you get I mean, my, you, you get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, but if if the way you get heat is actually hurting people, then eventually people don't want to fucking work with you anymore. So your heel heat means absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean. But I'm just saying there is also a difference between what he did and, say, someone like Sexy Star who, you know, it sucks that the level and degree of the amount of damage that he did, but at least it was – well, at least with the baseball bat, I know it was accidental where she was fucking just going in for herself, you know? Yeah, I agreed 100%. Sorry, uh, my phone muted itself. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, he definitely was – I don't think he was going into business for himself on the first one. Um, it was obviously a mistake. And, that's a really bad character. business to go into. Yeah, like, I, I don't think it was anything like that, and probably not the Kevin Sullivan thing um, either. It's just dumb mistakes, but right. if you keep making them right one after another, <laughs> then it 
then it kind of lends people to worry about what you're doing. Um, and I've seen, and like I said, I've seen like his actual wrestling seems fine. Like it's not like when uh, Nia first busted on the scene in WWE, you know, legitimately worried about her dropping, you know, Charlotte on her head or, or uh, Nia or not Nia, but uh, Sasha on her head when she first came to Raw. It's yeah. not that same thing, but it's almost worse because you're hitting someone with something heavy in steel. So it's kind of the same thing, but different. Uh, those are, those are both things that require uh, a gentle touch, so to speak. Not that, you know, you want to lay it in, but not not so much that you're breaking someone's orbital bone, which could have been almost the same case in Kevin Sullivan's uh, Sullivan's pictures that were out online. It's pretty damn brutal. Yeah, uh, uh, both the things that happened were ridiculous. That video of him hitting him in the head, and they showed it repeatedly before it. It's just knowing, like, oh yeah, this is not like. This is not some stage wrestling, you know, storyline. Like, he just legitimately hit him in the fucking eye with a baseball bat. From a far distance, too. Uh, all right, so let's keep on going. we got the women's uh, knockout championship match with Allie and Sue Young, who I really did kind of enjoy uh, this very tribute concept. It seemed like the great Muda uh, with Sue Young definitely brought in that type of concept. But um, what sucked about this whole thing was the storyline. Like, the last one... I think the storyline kind of saved it for the majority part because there's a buildup between the two of these guys that, you know, was maintained some realism within the whole entire feud with Eddie Edwards and Sammy Callahan. This one, I don't think the match was that bad. It was kind of entertaining afterwards though, with the whole like, stay with me, baby, like that type of shit with Braxton Sutters that I found really kind of dumb, but uh, either way, Ali defeated Sue Young and was followed up, like I said, by stuff that was really unnecessary and kind of stupid. Um, Chris, how, how did you feel? And why does here's actually the question: Why does TNA still have storyline stuff in between matches on pay per views? Like, I, I I don't know. It, it just seems weird. Maybe I'm just accustomed to WWE. Uh, yeah, it is weird. But I mean, I think it has to do with a lot of the way. Like, some of that is the way they have to book their TV schedule around independent wrestlers now. Um, so they got to try to get in as much story as they can because that person might not be on the next TV taping, um, especially in this particular situation, right? So uh, Allie's been working kind of all over the place, and then uh, Sue Young's been working all over the place. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's just like, hey, we got to get this shit in because they might not be at the TV taping for whatever reason. Um, could be completely wrong on that, but that's kind of what it seems like. But then again, TNA's kind of always done that. TNA kind of does their own thing. I think they're trying to differentiate themselves. Uh, WWE's done storylines on pay-per-view before, but usually it's like, you know, aftermath of a match, kind of like a beatdown or something. Um, the match itself I thought was was pretty good. Uh, don't really have anything that stood out to me as like a really cool spot or or anything I just completely disliked, but oh, you know, I uh, I thought it was decent overall and, and Allie once again I, I think she announced that she was an all in today as well which we're going to go through that list later but that's that's cool it's going to be fun to see see all these uh, female wrestlers like Tessa and Allie show up for all in so looking forward to that yeah they have a lot of great talent coming all in I can't wait to talk about that in a second of course uh, we still have one more match uh, three way match for the Impact World Championship um, Austin Aries, Ray Phoenix Pentagon Jr. Uh, 
I love at the beginning of it, I think there was legitimate heat. I could be wrong. When Pentagon was trying to get the audience more riled up, and Austin Aries was like, can we start this thing? Like, I felt tension building between the two. But I thought, that was a pretty good match. I'm not – I love playing three-way to six-way or whatever the hell in video games. But when it comes to, like, trying to pull it off, it's kind of hard to do. But I thought they had a pretty good match. And um, very out of nowhere – some I didn't expect Pentagon Jr., who's a Lucha Underground champion, uh, to win, and he ended up defeating Austin Aries. Uh, I feel like Austin or someone from Impact, I'm assuming, is going to be taking that belt away from him uh, sometime soon in the future. Uh, but I thought it was a pretty good, good end uh, match. Uh, Chris, what did you think? It was really fun seeing Pentagon win the title. I agree with you. Three way matches are definitely not my favorite. I prefer the way they did them in ECW, where it's almost an elimination three way, as opposed to like if one person gets pinned or submits, then the match is over or whatever. Um, I guess it builds drama for the champion, but that only really makes sense if your champion's like super over as a heel. Or, um, it only makes sense in certain scenarios. WWE's way more guilty of it than other federations, but. Uh, I liked the match a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was really cool to see Pentagon walk out the champion. I do have spoiler alerts, but uh, I'm not going to spew them here because I don't want to ruin it for everyone. But, um, yeah, just probably watch the taping this week. I'll admit I actually know the spoilers you're going to say. I've just been playing along. Um, but, yeah, we won't we won't spoil anything because it is spoilers of stuff that, you know, was recorded to not be shown until a later date. So that would be a dick move. Either way, that was Impact Wrestling Redemption. And uh, I watched the uh, show from the week before this. I've been watching, you know, a couple of pay-per-views, including, like I said, at WrestleMania weekend, Lucha versus uh, Impact. And I've been having a lot of fun. I think that they have a lot of great talent in there. Still, after losing Chris and taking a hit like they have, Impact still has a lot of great talent. And now that they're, you know, doing their thing with AAA at first and now involving even Lucha Underground, which obviously, if you bring AAA into it, you bring, uh, you know, the Mexican uh, population to view your show because they want to see their stars on there. And then also if you bring Lucha Underground, there's a lot of diehard fans that now will want to watch Impact because Pentagon's on there, he's a champion, and they keep on, you know, trading out like with Drago and stuff like that. So I think that's really cool. Um, I wanted to kind of go into like a section of questions from a couple of our members and good friends over at Geek Vibes Nation. Um, if I could pull this up. One of them pertains right to this from Corey. Uh, but basically, in a roundabout way, while I'm trying to find it, and we'll, we'll go over the other questions from uh, Greg and Randy. Um, Corey was wondering if you think that this is very beneficial of a lot of the indie promotions. And I mean, this kind of makes sense to New Japan has a relationship obviously with ring of honor. Um, then you have Don Callis who works for new Japan, who's now in charge of impact impact allowed Austin Aries to come and challenge for a ring of honor title over at ring of honor. Um, and basically has the potential to even win that because of, you know, the gimmick he's going for probably not, but still, uh, you have that type of interaction, and obviously Impact has a lot of involvement with Lucha Underground now and AAA. Uh, obviously, New Japan has it with CMLL. Uh, you know, there's so much moving stuff between all the companies, PWG also, 
trading talent with, with the Ring of Honor and also um, Evolve and stuff like that. So the, even the smaller ones. And then even the British ones, uh, besides Progress, who also, you know, with Zack Sabre Jr., travel back and forth. I think that if, I, I still can't find the post because I'm, I'm trying to do four things at once. But do you think this is beneficial, uh, do you think, to the industry that they start doing this completely and we start seeing a lot more talent traded? Thinking about well, this kind of can lead into all in and us talking about that, uh, how there's so many wrestlers from all these various indie organizations that are going to be a part of this, Chris. Yeah, I, I think 100% is a big deal because they're a bunch of little fish in, in comparison to WWE, with the exception of New Japan in Japan. Um, it reminds yeah. me very much of kind of the territories banding together to create a really great product, moving champions around. Um, in the future, I wouldn't be surprised if you see someone from Ring of Honor going back and forth between Impact or back and forth between New Japan and maybe even defending the title there. As long as they're walking out the winner and it makes sense, um, building to a loss, maybe to another Ring of Honor superstar or someone from New Japan that's moving over, I think it's, it's great, especially for New Japan who's trying to widen their American audience. Um, with guys like Marty Scroll and Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks going back and forth and those titles showing up on New Japan TV and, and kind of garnering the interest of even maybe some of these uh, New Japan fans uh, tuning over to watch some, some Ring of Honor. I mean, it's all, I mean, it's all, it's not anything that's crazy unheard of. I mean, even in, in some ways you no. can say, well, ECW did this uh, for a while as well, going back and forth between WCW and WWF talent coming in and out, uh, a WWF, specifically the ECW, um, even in modern years. But if you want to go back even further, uh, you could go to WCW in New Japan and All Japan, uh, Muda versus Sting, for instance, and, and a lot of the stuff that they did over in Japan. It's always beneficial for both companies, at least the way I see it. As long as the price isn't too high for, for these guys going back and forth, and the companies are flexible and it's not making a mark on your title negatively. Like, it, obviously, if you're going to have... Kazuchika Okada show up and lose um, to your Ring of Honor champion, then that, that's a big deal. Obviously, you double count out or whatever. Um, you just have to book it smart just like they did in the territories, but I, it's great for pro wrestling. Um, it would be great if WWE did a little bit more of it with some of the bigger cats like a, like a Kazuchika Okada or a Kenny Omega and figure out a way to work it so that they don't necessarily have to leave the company that they're comfortable with. Um, to work the WWE schedule, which is going to be a completely different monster in general. But yeah, I mean, overall, I, I think it's it's great. It's great to see all these guys, especially Impact, because I think they need it the most right now uh, with the way their talent pool has been depleted by WWE in a lot of ways. Um, and, and some leaving for various reasons because of the management changes and Impact and the sales and all that stuff. Uh, obviously impacted did this before with, with Jeff Jarrett being there. I think that he was even the triple A champion at one time while he was still involved. I don't think he was the owner at that point in time, but still involved with impact. So it's good to see that that relationship's still there. Um, obviously seeing the Lucha underground guys show up on, you know, impact each week is, is, is a very cool thing. Seeing Pentagon actually get a impact title, knowing that's always going to be in the history book. That's, that makes that pay-per-view for itself, if you're a Pentagon Jr. fan, worth watching. Like maybe you're not an Impact fan, but you want to see Pentagon Jr. hold the title or win the title. That's a, it's kind of a big deal. So it's always cool to see stuff like that. It's just how it plays out afterwards and, and make sure it doesn't devalue your talent or devalue your titles. And I have no problem with it. But like I said, you don't want to send 
Kazuchika Okada to go like lose to Moose on Impact or something. Obviously, that would make him look <laughs> weak, um, which they haven't done. They're not going to do that. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying that's you know that's kind of in the territories. You know, those big top matches are always double count out or, or double DQ or they go Broadway as as Dustin Rhodes. We go Broadway, baby. You're gonna go Broadway, baby, if you will. Um, but if yeah, you will. I, I absolutely. I think it's a great idea, especially for the smaller federations. Evolving PWG, switching talent with uh, obviously some of the people in the UK. Zack Saber flying basically coast to coast at this point. Um, even Johnny Mundo kind of just being all over the place. I think it's I think it's good for business, especially with a lot of well, these top name guys. It's definitely good for wait, wait. for them to have those different places to work. And you brought up two names that kind of like benefit a lot from that because they have completely two different regions to play two different styles of wrestling because when Johnny Mundo is on impact, he's Johnny impact and he's this baby face and he's a badass. He's in some, some, um, some, uh, thing with, um, Jimmy Jacobs is now a manager and he's managing Congo Kong and, uh, Really interesting stuff. But anyways, either way, he gets to play babyface and impact and go down to Lucha Underground and play heel and AAA and play heel. And then Zack Sabre Jr. does the exact same thing. When he's over in Britain, he's beloved. And he wears his red trunks and his jacket with the, the, uh, the British flag on it, uh, the Union Jack thing. And then you go to New Japan, and now he's this evil member of Suzuki Goon. So I think it even benefits wrestlers for – you know, for them to have a viable career outside of WWE where they can make their own hours and do their own thing. Um, I think it's awesome for the industry. He uh, basically kind of went into it. it. He said working together is a way to progress the business and not tear it down. I, I, I completely agree with that concept. I think what can tear it down, honestly, is wrestling fans, uh, especially ones that have to make a huge deal between the two of, like, non-WWE compared to WWE and other stuff like that and try to digress, if you will, the love of wrestling and try to make it this competition that I still feel ruins a portion of uh, loving the comic movies of Marvel and DC and stuff like that and Fox. And it's, it's aggravating. It's like, can't we just enjoy what we have instead of like, you know, bickering about it. But I agree with everything that he said. Uh, I, I think that all this stuff is, does work well. He had another, um, uh, another question for us, Chris, but do you have any uh, closing statements about that? No, I mean, pretty much agree with everything you said, and I, I think that's kind of the general feel from people that love wrestling is that the more of I get to see of my favorite wrestlers in all these different places with these different styles and these different fans, the better. I mean, I, I love seeing Cody Rhodes' heel work go over across multiple brands. I love seeing Johnny Mundo play a face on one show and, and be something completely different on a different show. Um, I love seeing the styles adapt where, where you might get uh, more of a strong style in Japan um, with the young bucks and then more of uh, more of an American type style, depending on who they're facing and ring of honor. Like all that stuff is really cool. Very interesting. And, and like I said, I mean, it's not anything that's completely unknown. It's like someone from Memphis back in the day going up to, you know, to AWA and, and wrestling in Minnesota. Yep. Like it's, it's just different styles and it's interesting. I mean, the, the people that benefit the most from it are the diehard fans that want to follow this stuff and, and want to be a part of it. And I think that's why the uh, all in and the concept of that is really, really cool. Cause you're getting a lot of 
big names from all different places. And I think right now, like with some of the wrestlers, even in WWE right now, you have to look at the independent scene and go, man, I could take what I've done here with my name and, and my popularity and, and maybe have a little bit less of a schedule. Maybe, yeah, maybe I make some less money, but I can go do some really fun stuff. And at some point you got to love your job. So if, if you love doing what you do, on the indie scene more than stay there by all means. Um, and I think WWE is going to run into a bit of that now with some of this, you know, older talent, someone like Adolph Ziggler that has been overlooked for a while starting to shed off. I just think it's crazy that WWE has gone after a lot of these guys. Um, well, Osprey admitted, unless he was lying, I don't know why he would lie about it on Chris Jericho's show that WWE is interested in him. And he just, he loves the schedule that he does. He loves, how he's working. I don't personally think that he should be going, you know, full tilt as he is. And maybe you tone it down a little bit with WWE, but then again, I mean, I, I, he's like 22. So there's a lot of that type of stuff. Zach Sabre Jr. Uh, he, he had a offer to stay after the cruiserweight tournament. And I think that's very beneficial for him that he said no, uh, because he would be on 205 live. And even though it's developing well now, it didn't for the longest time, and this guy has rose in popularity. Okada's never going to go to WWE. The only time any of those guys, uh, Naito, Okada, they if they have some type of WWE versus New Japan, will we see those guys go against each other? Uh, Pentagon's not going there anytime soon. He knows where he'll end up. Uh, actually, I don't think he's 205, but you know they just don't they don't do a lot with certain other wrestlers. Jay Lethal's not leaving. Um, anytime soon, Chris, uh, Christopher Daniels. Yeah, he's not leaving anytime soon. Uh, there, there's no reason for a lot of these guys now. And Eli Drake, yeah, I, I think eventually uh, moves. Certain other guys, I think we'll see go through NXT. And I, I was surprised Ricochet actually left the Indies. Uh, I thought that he was someone that was happy bouncing around. But hey, you know, I guess it's up to the wrestler. I think it's actually a good time to go into All In. A little bit, Chris. Uh, if you guys don't know what All In is, um, All In is a pay-per-view that the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes have been promoting. Uh, they're doing it in Chicago. I think they have the arena, but I, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, but basically, it was kind of like a bet that accidentally happened. And it, it just happened from, on the Wrestling Observer, Dave Metzler was asked, and he's a huge fan. Uh, most, most wrestling fans realize that. Huge fan of the Young Bucks, huge fan of Cody Rhodes, huge fan of Bullet Club and Kenny Omega and all of them. And he was just asked realistically if they could make a certain amount of money, um, you know, for an arena, if they could sell it out, basically. I think it was Ring of Honor. And he said, no, there's no way that they'd be able to do that. And so Cody and the Bucks took it personally, not, not his statement, but, like, decided to put it as a challenge. And they have built this thing that's happening in September called All In, and I honestly think, Chris, this is going to sound crazy, but this could be the indie WrestleMania, if you will. Like something that could happen yearly if this one does really tremendous numbers, where we can see talent from all, you know, what we we're just talking about, from all different places. Matt Riddle, you know, Jeff Cobb, um, Okada, all of these guys and, and girls, basically amazing wrestlers, compete once a year at this thing. And I think it could do big numbers. Um, so wrestlers confirmed so far. Jay Lethal just confirmed. Uh, we have Penelope Ford, Bad Boy Joey Janela, Chelsea Green. And then already uh, that was on the list was uh, Kazuka Okada, 
Pentagon Jr., Ray Phoenix, Cracker Barrel, Tessa Blanchard, Kenny Omega, obviously both Jackson brothers, Hangman Page, Cody, Flip Gordon, Stephen Amell, a.k.a. The Green Arrow, and Marty Skrull. Um, oh, and, and Diona Perrazzo. Um But, man, right off the bat, that is an impressive list, Chris. Uh, the fact that they have the two arguably the most popular uh, luchadors in there, um, and then also New Japan's two biggest guys, and Kenny Omega and Katsuchi Okada are two of their biggest guys. I mean, this is this is pretty impressive. And then they have a celebrity guy in there that's going to draw attention to, uh, you know, air fans. So this all could be big. Uh, if you have more details, definitely let me know, because I forgot the exact numbers for most of this stuff. But um, how do you feel about all this? Do you think that they're going to be able to do what they're setting out to do? And regardless, how do you, how do you feel about some of the guys now involved? I mean, a lot of... I, I... I think the lineup that they have is is amazing in a lot of ways. I think it's super great. Um, the one thing I'll say is that it depends on how big the arena is. But if we're talking, I, I don't remember where the arena is going to be. But originally, the quote was they wouldn't be able to sell out a 10,000-seat arena, which I think is very, very possible. Um, I don't think it's unlikely at all. Um, and what I would say is you can definitely get these guys into an arena, especially with the people that they are with a name like Kazuchika Okada, with names like Kenny Omega, you got being the elite. I'm assuming that you might get the golden lovers, uh, though that's not confirmed yet, depending on where Kenny Omega's storyline goes, there's still going to be more wrestlers announced for this thing. Um, I think they could easily book 10,000, whether they make money on it or not was the actual thing that Meltzer said, which is kind of the question is how much are they paying each of these dudes? Right. Uh, if they're paying them all a ton of money, then it might just end up, uh, you know, it might end up just washing washing out. Uh, but it's going to be, I, I kind of wish there was one big name on this that's not showing up on this list, or just one other, someone like a, uh, for instance, a, John Morrison or Johnny Mundo or Christopher Daniels and maybe even uh, them boys. So I, I feel like there's still going to be more added. I really do. And once those names start showing up, I think that selling this place out is not going to be the problem. It's just how much can you pay these guys? And I know some of this is going to be, you know, the Bullet Club doing it because someone said they couldn't do it and they're going to make money off merch. They're not worried about it. It's how much are you going to pay these other people and how that averages out in the end. Originally, when Dave Meltzer said this, I was like, they should just crowdfund it and give the tickets away if you fund over a certain amount of money, which would have made complete sense to me. I don't know if they would have been possible because I've never tried to book an arena of 10,000 people before, obviously. I'm not a promoter. Um, but I, I personally, I thought that was the way to go. You book this Bullet Club event with Cody Rhodes. You give you give a shirt. You give a ticket if you spend over 80 bucks. Uh, I think that would have worked well. It's going to be interesting, but I do think I agree with you. Even if this first one loses its, loses its ass or they lose money on it, they'll have a game plan for the next time they want to do this. We're all in two. Um, because everyone told, you know, Vince WrestleMania was going to fail. So who knows? Like, this could be the next huge independent thing. They have some great people on it. It's cool. Stephen Amell is going to be there. And, 
yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting. Um, and I think that's really cool. You know, all these guys are, are some of these people are, some of the people involved in this are just doing it for the love of the wrestling and the, and the relationships with the yep. other wrestlers. So that in itself is, is really, really cool. Um, I don't know. Did you have any other thoughts on it? No, I, I agree with that statement, though. Uh, I think that some of these guys are probably giving them a deal because they can see the potential in all this. And I think the Young Bucks, we're basically saying the same thing, but I think they see the potential of even if we break even and make a little bit of money off of merch sales, this could potentially down the line trickle something that could really be a moneymaker every year with all these other organizations, not even indie organizations. Those, and then basically the big three outside of WWE with Impact, well, I guess AAA would be bigger than both Impact and Ring of Honor, but you get what I'm saying. New Japan, having yeah. a lot of these guys from each brand um, come over and be able to wrestle and be a part of this, it's awesome. And I'm really – I honestly – I don't know how they would do it because you think that they would want to promote that he's going to be there, but I really think that there's a possibility that CM Punk will have some type of involvement in something. Not a match, but maybe come out during the Kenny Cody match that I'm assuming is going to be there or something to that extent and screw stuff up uh, just for a run-in. But I feel like if they don't say anything, that's actually them digressing their chances of of selling more tickets. But then again, it probably would be something that they would have worked out because this has been asked, you know, probably to Matt and Nick Jackson a million times. But recently Matt Jackson was like, look, I, I text CM Punk almost on a weekly basis. We're always talking. So never say never. But obviously he's concentrating on other stuff. So yeah, I think that would help them out. I think you know even the people that you said, even if they get like maybe like Naito or Tanahashi, one of those guys, you know, another big name from New Japan. I mean, this could be a big thing. Here's a question I put back to you, Chris. Do you know if if they've talked about you know recording this, putting online, or is this if you're going to be there, you're going to be there, sort of thing? So this is where it gets weird because you have contracts involved with New Japan and contracts involved with Ring of Honor. And I don't know how those contracts are written, whether this thing is going to be streamed live um, because you also get into Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix. Um, that's where it co- This is where the cost comes in. This is what Meltzer was talking about. This is what uh, Cornette was talking about in a lot of ways where getting a big name, um, before, you know, Daniel Bryan obviously came back to his WWE, but getting a Daniel Bryan or a CM Punk, you're going to pay more, but you're guaranteed to sell the building out and you can make everyone else take less because you're like, hey, well, CM Punk, bro, sorry. <laughs> like, um, just as far as being over, it's just kind of one of those things that happens in wrestling. Uh, so that's where it gets weird because if they have to start paying licensing rights or giving this footage out to each one of these federations, which would be the way that I would try to do it, right? Say you're going to have a match between Pentagon Jr., which this obviously, you're, let's say you have a tag match between uh, Pentagon Jr. Uh, and Ray Phoenix for some reason against Matt and Nick Jackson. Well, then you, you give, you know, tr- AAA and Lucha the, the rights to that or whatever so that they can see it. Um, it's got to be beneficial for all parties. The, the one cool thing about this that I, I don't think anyone's thought of is when you start doing this on a yearly basis and these independent contractors or who will become independent contractors because that's how wrestling kind of works, get the opportunity, does this just turn into its own federation? 
do these people just gather together at some point? Because a lot of these names are really good friends at this point, which is kind of the basis for a good federation, or at least a bunch of good names that you could possibly build around. Um, which I guess is a separate question for you, but like, could you see something like this? If this is successful two years in a row, do you see people looking at their contracts and go, hey, maybe we got something here. Maybe we could actually do our own thing if they could get TV rights. Um, but to answer your question, that's where the money comes in is, is how, do you, how do you stream this and benefit Ring of Honor? How do you stream this and benefit Lucha Underground? Um, how do you stream this and benefit New Japan? And do they care? I mean, they may not care because maybe they just want to keep their top stars and they're like, hey, if we can show highlights from it or whatever, that's cool. I think it just depends on the federation. Um, obviously, New Japan's probably not super hurting for money right now with, with the popularity it's at. Um, Ring of Honor may be more lenient. Um, but, I mean, they have some hell of some names, and I, and I would almost be willing to guarantee that you're going to get a Christopher Daniels in here. You're definitely going to get I, I think you would also get, um, you know, Jay Lethal's already signed on, but you, you're probably going to get, with your tag teams, I would, I would assume you get them boys, uh, the Briscoes, but I, I think this is going to be bigger. Than Maybe the Machine Guns? The they, yeah, I, I think this is going to be even bigger than the show that they had at Mania with, with Ring of Honor show, if they really want it to be. It's just the money has to make sense, and... <clears throat> It's not. It can't be a hot dog and a handshake, but also some of these wrestlers are going to have to take a little less than they normally would for an appearance um, to do something special. That being said, if everyone bands together and they're like, we're going to do something special and have this incredible thing and maybe we take less money, then this could be fucking awesome. Who knows? Uh, I will say, with the names you have on here, you have Kazuchika Okada and you have Kenny Omega, you're going to have some good fucking matches. Like, at least two yep. good fucking matches with those names thrown in there. Um, and that's enough for me to tune into it if, if it's available. And maybe it's like, maybe they have to charge a pay-per-view price because maybe they have to charge $30 to watch this thing because they have to pay the TV rights for the contracts. I don't know how those contracts work out uh, because that gets into a level where it's like not only the wrestling company, but pop TV or, uh, you know, where like Destination America or... Uh, what is it, El Rey or whatever, uh, you get into a weird situation then where you're talking about TV contracts with these wrestlers and, and their rights like this if they're signed into that. And that's always going to be an unknown because unlike football or hockey or any other sport, this stuff's not open for us to go look at for the most part. Like the contract stuff we hear is just going to be through Wrestling Observer and it's only going to be because someone told Dave, you know. Absolutely. And uh, to answer your question, I hope that there's one day where we have, not the NWA, obviously, uh, but some type of situation where all the owners kind of have, maybe like the non-WWE uh, organizations basically kind of like do trade out talent, and maybe this can be one of the first things that starts that whole entire process of, screw it, you know, we need to band together and work together and stuff like that, and maybe eventually... Do uh, maybe eventually Triple H will be a part of that whole entire concept of wanting to do that. I think that he sees things a lot differently than Vince, but obviously he's not in the driver's seat right now. But you know, like I keep on saying, 
you know, him having involvement right now with uh, with progress and stuff over Britain, and him wanting to do performance centers, you know, right now in Saudi Arabia, and then he wants to do Japan apparently, and like a couple other places. Hey, go for it, man. Um, maybe this is his way of expanding. But when it comes to non WWE, yeah, I think eventually. We're going to see a lot of guys on these different cards, and I think this is going to be the thing that kind of starts, ignites that torch, if you will. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's just it's interesting to see these names, these specific names, show up on card after card after card and draw kind of wherever they go. And then when you think about it, at some point, do you get these heads together that go, maybe we just start our own shit. Um. <laughs> Which is it's just interesting to think about. Uh, it's, I'm not saying that it's ever going to happen because obviously, to have a wrestling federation in general on the level of an Impact or a Ring of Honor, you have to have a TV contract. So you have to have someone back it, uh, which was kind of the big problem <laughs> with WCW and how they bought WCW. Not to to backdate, but when WCW got bought, it was basically worthless because they lost the TV contract uh, with with Turner and AOL. I guess I guess it would be AOL at that point had Bob Turner, um, but it is interesting to think about when you continuously see these names pop up all over the place, knowing that they're friends. At some point, do they go? Let's give it a shot. I don't have an answer for that, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Uh, I think the 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 event itself is going to be awesome. Um, if anyone's out there looking for tickets, by the way anyone listening to this, Cody Rhodes has said any of these resale sites, they're full of shit. Do not buy these. They're spam tickets. The, he did say the lowest ticket price is going to be $25. It's going to be starting at $25. He said there's not a bad seat in the place. So if you're anywhere in this near vicinity and you have a chance to grab up tickets, please do um, and go see this because I think it's going to be fucking amazing. But don't buy them from a reseller right now um, because they haven't actually purchased them yet. So just heads up on that. He posted that on Twitter earlier today, so I thought I'd relay the message. Well, that was quite nice of you, Chris. Um, I would want to know that information uh, beforehand because I already bought five tickets, so I guess I'm screwed. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't even I don't even live in Chicago. I don't know what's going on. But uh, you actually <laughs> reminded me about a subject that we did not write down, but we should probably talk about. Uh, because it's been the news recently. Uh, you said that you made a comment about Dave Metzler and that people, you know, he we don't know it unless people tell him, uh, something to that extent. Have you heard about these that apparently Vince has been getting his guys to weed out and find out who the source is, and apparently he found out who the source was that was feeding Dave his information and has been feeding false stuff all throughout the year. There's, there were a couple incidents that were examples of this, uh, stuff that we were told something was going to go one way and then it ended up going completely the opposite. But even building up to this, the outcome of this WrestleMania match, is there any possibility that Vince's old crazy ass is trying to get back at Metzler and other wrestling uh, observer-level guys, if you will, uh, finding out information and displaying it for everyone, and is that good uh, to a level of being able to keep kayfabe, if you will, to an extent? Like not have ev the whole storyline of who's going to be on the next WrestleMania be leaked a year previous. Um, if this is true, do you think it's beneficial or do you think there could be consequences uh, 
Or do you think it's bullshit? I think it's half truth, half bullshit. I think that Vince McMahon pulled the trigger on Brock keeping the title because he knew the reaction to Roman going into that thing wasn't where he wanted it to be. I think he thought that Dean Ambrose was going to be healthy um, to build the shield up more. And that's why you got the finish you had at WrestleMania, especially after the Elimination Chamber. I guess it was Elimination Chamber. Um, kind of the lukewarm reaction of Reigns overcoming Braun, so to speak. Uh, and kind of, you know, just the reaction in general to the promos and the match and beatdowns and all that stuff. Uh, I'm not sure that, that that match didn't get changed 15 minutes before it went on air. I don't think anyone will know that except for Roman, Brock, maybe Paul Heyman, and whoever the agent was who booked it, who booked the damn thing. Uh, and that match felt so awkward that I don't think the wrestlers knew what was going to happen until like 15 minutes beforehand. I could be completely wrong, but it's not yeah. the first time Vince has ever done that. Um, as far as him trying to swerve Dave Meltzer, it's never going to work because Dave is friends with a lot of wrestlers, and wrestlers are going to talk. Unless, unless Vince is going to start firing his talent for speaking, I, I don't think that you're ever going to get a complete stop of this. Um, and also, like you know, protecting kayfabe is one thing, and then booking your WrestleMania a year in advance and letting everyone know what it's going to be ahead of time is probably just not a good idea as a booker because the fans' reaction could change over an entire year, which it did. Braun Strowman became a huge deal, and sticking to the plan because you think it's right doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work out for you, which we saw. Um, we saw Samoa Joe become like a huge threat like when he was healthy and he cut that promo on Brock Lesnar and the fans went nuts. Like that could have been your guy. Um, trying to book this stuff out around Brock Lesnar's contract is more of the problem than Dave Meltzer telling you this is what's going to happen at WrestleMania. The problem with this is what's going to happen at WrestleMania is he knew what was going to happen a year out and you stuck with it. You didn't have to stick with it. You had a whole year to change it. It's your company. You can make it whatever the fuck you wanted to. You could have made it Elias Sampson versus Brock Lesnar three months before WrestleMania, and Dave Meltzer would have been completely wrong. When you're talking about year-out predictions, that's on you. You're, it's a year away. You have an entire year to change your game plan. So to get mad at predictions or leaks because someone said your WrestleMania was going to happen, it was going to be pretty evident when Roman won Elimination Chamber. Like, it doesn't, like, the shit doesn't matter. Like, most of the time, Dave Meltzer is not even giving you any inside story. He's just telling you what he thinks. And he's able to predict it very well because he's been watching wrestling for four years. It's the same thing we do here. I think we make pretty decent predictions for the most part. No, it's good. Yeah, we're super Meltzer. intelligent. Um, but do I think that Vince McMahon has a dude trying to find who who... <laughs> who the mole is, so to speak. Yeah, probably, because that sounds very Vince McMahon. <laughs> but do I think that it was does. the problem? The The problem isn't that, like, Dave found out about it a year in advance. The problem is, is you still went with it, even after you knew it was going to flop six months later. That was the fucking problem. You had two obvious answers directly in front of you. You had Braun, and you had Samoa Joe, could have had them take the title off Brock and then you could have Brock win it back at Mania if you wanted Brock to stick around for another year. 
He doesn't need the title. He's not on TV anyway. So for that to be like the excuse of why that match sucked totally sounds like a Vince McMahon thing. A very politician Vince McMahon, we're going to find all the moles and hunt them down and kill them. Definitely sounds like it, but it's also complete and utter bullshit. All right, everyone. I have a meeting with you. We're going to find the moles. <laughs> oh man. No, but the sad thing is I agree with you. It just he's crazy. Um so if there's some moles around, uh he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna try to fight them. And uh yeah. But I, I yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying, man. I mean we've kind of had a year. I don't get this. Back when we were watching wrestling, Chris, a lot of times if the audience was picking someone Vince went to there. Like, remember when he tried to get Rock over, and that went into a bale of shit until Rock went to, you know, to being a bad guy, obviously, is when he eventually got over. But at first, he was supposed to be the guy, and Rocky sucks, Rocky dies. Stone Cold, everyone notices, all right, he's a big thing. Vince says, fuck it, let's do it. Sean, he tried to hold out for for a little while. Uh, you know, it just wasn't working out, and finally he gave Sean the chance. But now it's like it's he's... As, as an old older person, he's like spiteful. It's like if, if the audience picks someone, he make, tries to make it that much more hard for them. Like, oh, you like Rusev? Well, I'm going to have him keep on doing heel promos and teaming with the bad guy. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I, cheer for Roman Reigns. Why? I watched so much of his stuff recently, you know, from him in NXT. Well, not a lot of it, but a good amount of his promos. I was just going through them on YouTube and shit like that. I, I, I said this like last week and I'll always say it. I don't get it. I, I, what is, what, what does he see that apparently no one else sees? I don't even think it's what he sees. I think he doesn't want the fans to be able to hijack his booking. You have to walk a fine line. And part of that is the fact you have three hour programming. Part of that is your matches aren't long enough. You can't really tell a story in the ring. Um, Part of that is the way they book programs is very stale. Like the intro to every Raw, your main event player walks out, he's mad. The other guy comes out, they're mad. The authority comes out, they're also mad. And that's the entire storyline for 90% of WWE. Like the problem is the format in which that they've been trying to do things to write it into a almost a TV show format like CW. Like CW, I love the superhero shows on there, but they're written to a format. They are. Like all of them. They have a format, and if you enjoy that format, you're going to like the shows. That's WWE. Um, Sometimes that shit doesn't work. Uh, I agree, don't let the fans hijack who you want to be the guy is, but if you see someone who's very talented, like Samoa Joe getting a reaction, maybe go with him. Um, And I think a lot of that was who Vince was surrounded by, Jim Ross being the talent agent, uh, the head talent agent, um, Jim Cornette helping book. You had, uh, I hate to say it, but Vince Russo was there. Even though he had wacky ideas, he also had some good ideas. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. I don't think they have that level of talent anymore. I think Vince walks in and he goes, this is the show I want to do. Let's do it. Oh, yeah, they're yes Um, men. Which is why NXT has thrived in, in a situation where, you know, both Raw and SmackDown are pretty much the same show every week with different storylines. Um, but they're formatted. 
They have a very basic format that works for TV, and they know they're going to get a certain set amount of views. And if they do something super surprising, maybe it'll pop the rating, maybe it won't. Um, and they use that in TV contracts, I think, uh, which is the actual answer. Um, the real answer is, like, get Gato to book it, and it'd be fucking awesome. But, like, can't go mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's all I really have to say uh, about it. I I think a lot of it is more of the format and him just trying to get the fans. I mean, not shut the fans up in a way, which is never going to happen now because the floodgates have been unleashed. You did shoot promos. You gave into the Daniel Bryan thing. You weren't able to build stars. You brought in a bunch of stars. People want to see those guys succeed. And now you're kind of stuck with the hand you're dealt. So someone like a Roman Reigns, is not going to be more over than a Samoa Joe who most of your fans have been watching for years and really want to see win a title. Yep, I agree. And that's all we have to say about that. Um, but, yeah. So I guess we should um, finish up these questions and go into some uh, some Royal Rumble, Grace Royal Rumble stuff. We've already kind of done the predictions, but I guess we have to do it again because it happens Friday. Uh, but the other questions that uh, were being asked of us is, Corey wanted to know some moments, wrestling moments, that we can kind of talk about that are some of the ones that really stick out in our head uh, between yesteryear and today. Um, I'll let you start. You know, just name a couple that really stand out in your in, in your skull, Christopher. So I didn't get like a year brain. date and time from – I didn't get a year date and time from Corey or anything, but uh, one of my go-tos – is Shane Douglas's promo throwing down the NWA title, creating ECW. I think that's – hey, can you hear me? Hey, can you hear me? What's up? Hey, how about now? Can you hear me? I think you muted me. Yeah, dude, I don't know what's going on. I guess my headset just went off the flips. It's like making a million lights and about to blow up or something. Either way, it doesn't matter. Um, so I, I missed yeah, pretty yeah, much back? whatever you were just saying. Yeah, I'm back. Oh, so you can hear me. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, so No, no, it wasn't you. I think... my, head, my headset just went crazy. I don't know what's going on with it. Oh, okay, Horrible. cool. So I didn't get, like, year dates or different federations, so I'm just going to go through a list <laughs> oh, me of neither. my favorites. Um. The first and foremost, the one that sticks out the most was was kind of the birth of hardcore, what's considered the birth of hardcore. I think Shane, Shane Douglas cut an awesome promo. He did fuck over the NWA by throwing their title on the ground. Um, but I think that one stands out in my mind. I think um, Rey Mysterio and WCW winning winning the title, um, beating the Giant, stands out in my mind. Uh, Goldberg streak, obviously. Uh, TNA... AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, as we talked about with Christopher Daniels was on the show. It's one of my favorite feuds of all time. I think it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, not to make a pun, but I, I think it's one of the best feuds I've ever seen. Um, going back even to the NWA days, Terry Funk losing his eye <laughs> and feuding with uh, Lawler and then taking that feud into uh, Ric Flair. Um just, just great moments outside of, outside of uh, WWE. There's, I mean, there's a ton. It, there's a whole. I mean, there's 
I, I'm obviously naming some of the big ones. So let me name one of my favorite, I guess, personal ones, which would be uh, Diamond Dallas Page versus Macho Man Randy Savage and the feud they have. I, I thought that was great. I think it single-handedly helped cement Diamond Dallas Page as a top star in WCW as a kid that watched WCW on a weekly basis. I wanted to see DDP hit the cutter on him and beat him. Um, Vampiro versus Sting I was super into. It didn't pay off as well as I wanted it to, but I thought that was fucking awesome. Obviously, uh, more recently, we're looking outside, I would say um, Omega and Okada, the story that they were able to tell in the ring. The fact that Okada's not, or Omega's not been able to, able to get over the hump. Um, he's came close. He's tied. Hasn't beaten Okada. Like, that storyline is great. You know, um, Bullet Club recently with the Golden Lovers. I think the Golden Lovers and the Young Bucks told a great, great story. There's just a ton of them, um, which is why I, you know, I kind of wish I would have pinned that question down a little bit more, see what he was asking for. But, I mean, there's just a ton of great wrestling moments, even even recently, uh, that have been kind of phenomenal outside of WWE. Um, But I, I think, you know, a lot of the big ones... Uh, relate back to my childhood and a lot of nostalgia, like such as uh, Terry Funk winning the ECW heavyweight title, you know, in the three-way match. I, th- I think that's one of my favorite of all time, Terry Funk being one of my favorite wrestlers, seeing him at 58 years old doing a moonsault in the hardcore match, kind of fucking awesome. Uh, even as a kid, when I saw that shit, I popped really hard. So Th- those are some of mine. I, I didn't come up with the top five. I- I'm not going to number them for you, but those are all things that you should check out if you haven't seen them. Definitely the Shane Douglas promo, Terry Funk winning the ECW title for the first time, uh, the Desperado promo specifically going into that title match uh, with Tommy Dreamer trying to talk Terry Funk out of it. Um, Okada versus Omega, I think, was fucking incredible. The Golden Lever stuff recently has been awesome. Uh and AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, uh, Samoa Joe, and then AJ Styles and, and Samoa Joe. And uh, a lot, I mean, a ton, like anything with Kevin Steen in Ring of Honor, uh, basically the fuck Jim Cornette era where he was more of a stone cold, I would highly recommend. Those are those are some of my favorites that I can think of right offhand. Yeah, all right. So I think the first one is, is one I've said is like one of my earliest memories is being like three, three and a half and watching Andre the Giant uh, get slammed by Hulk Hogan. Uh, and that one just sticks out of my head. Uh, another one is after Macho Man lost, I believe, to the Ultimate Warrior. He got beat up by Sensational Sherry and uh, Elizabeth ran out. And I remember watching this live um, and ran the ring, saved him and you know, he was like, what are you doing here? And then they started kissing and, like, you know, making up. And, like, I think I was crying as, like, a child to a fake thing between two people that had been uh, divorced for about five years, just performing really well in front of us. Uh, but that – not all of them are great. I remember a really clumsy cage match, triple-layer cage match in WCW – where Sting, Macho Man, and Hulk Hogan had to go against the Dungeon of Doom from the top against the Four Horsemen and the uh, the Legion of Doom. And at the last one, it was Tiny Lister, a.k.a. Zeus, and the guy that played Bane in um, Batman Forever. Not Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. And it was so awful. I felt bad recently. I wa- watched it. 
I felt bad for Ric Flair and Arn Anderson for having to be a part of that, mainly. Um, man, I'm trying to think, like, Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, a lot of his stuff, especially, like, where, the Zamboni, I think, into the ring, jumping over the cops, you know, beating the crap out of Vince. Um, oh, when I was watching WCW and they revealed what was going to happen on WWF about mankind winning the title, trying to be pompous, and then I immediately switched over. It was a part of the movement that started killing WCW because that was the night that everything flipped for them, for WWF, and I got to watch Mick Foley, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, become the champion. Um, I, I, oh, um, Ric Flair's retirement match against Shawn Michaels and Shawn saying I love you. Uh, that's that brings a tear to my eye, even when I see it on a stupid commercial. And I think Daniel Bryan was one of the most recent one. Him saying that he can wrestle again was pretty damn amazing. And yeah, Kenny Omega versus Okada, that was incredible. That brought my whole entire spectrum on wrestling into a, a much broader concept. Um, and I appreciate that. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. I really, there's probably a million. You know, Sting coming down from the rafter for the first time, taking out the NWO in the ring. That's another one. Um, all that stuff. It's just, I love wrestling, man. And I loved starting to see moments that people already told me about and going back now with the network and going back in the past and watching it and experiencing it a little bit for myself. And just all the new stuff that's been happening is uh, creating new memories and stuff like that. Like, uh, a lot of great stuff this year in wrestling. And, uh Yeah. Love, love doing this type of stuff. Uh, do you have any closing statements before we move on? Yeah, I mean, um, a couple more just non-WWE ones. I guess that's like Corey. I think he had, he was like not I, – I don't remember. He was like outside of WWE big moments. Um, growing up as a kid, just heads up, I, I grew up watching like, you know, Mid-South and uh, Georgia rest, Championship Wrestling. And a lot of – more of the weird stuff my grandpa liked. Uh, I'm not that old, but he would watch tapes of it. And so I, I would say just watching, you know, the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express, any of that feud, um, all amazing. And then going out to Texas, you know, watching Terry and Dory team together in, in my later years as I got older, and obviously the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds, those are all things that, sit heavily on my mind all the time that I think about constantly when I see a three-way tag team match or I see the new day even to some extent. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there's, there's a lot. And if we're talking about, you know, recent, I, like I said, I think the biggest, the standout for me, probably if we're talking in the past, I don't know, five, 10 years, probably Kevin Steen winning the title. Um, Kevin Steen beating up Generico, him and him and Sammy, I think, gave me a respect for independent wrestling ring of honor specifically that I didn't have time. Um, especially with him being kind of this pissed off Canadian stone cold kind of thing. Um, the other one right off hand is more of a promo, but, uh, there's a weird promo with John Moxley, which is now Dean Ambrose. Uh, he cut back in the day where he, he's like, you smell like the inside of my mom's purse. And that always stands out in my mind. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you throw that into a favorite moment, but I'm going to throw that out I there. I hope he's told uh, her <laughs> But, um, 
There, I mean, there's tons. There's tons of great moments, and when you try to throw them all together in federations, yeah. I mean, <laughs> another one. I mean, if I if I was going to talk about what, lament over one specific match, uh, that probably not a lot of people think about Abyss versus Sabu in a barbed wire match, around 2005. That was a great match. It was a fucking awesome match. It's also crazy that Sabu did the things he did in that match, and, and Abyss did the things he did in that match. It's kind of what I consider one of the end of super hardcore, uh, unless you're watching like CZW, obviously, or or one of those products, but uh, yeah, I mean, all of the X Division matches, there's there's tons of stuff. I mean, I really was a huge TNA fan. They just let me down over a long time period, um, and I, there's a lot of WCW stuff. Chris Jericho, obviously, reading off the hunt, list of 103 moves um, at PD1 go. Uh, I mean, there's just a bunch. If we go into WCW, I could talk all day, but we we don't have time for that shit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for instance, Kevin Nash picking up Rey Mysterio Jr. and throwing him into the side of a semi-truck as hard as he could when NWO first showed oh, yeah. up. And you're like, oh, no, poor Rey Mysterio Jr. <laughs> like, that kind of shit. How about, That's the stuff that how about trying to jackknife powerbomb the giant and dropping him on his fucking head? That was terrifying. Watch that one. Uh, I just try to, I, I just try to try to forget about those moments. Uh, Goldberg winning at the Georgia Dome, being here from Atlanta, that was a huge fucking deal. It was on the news. <laughs> it was like it was on the sports news. Goldberg won the heavyweight title, <laughs> so that's kind of a big deal. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, outside of that, uh, without going really, really deep, I, I think another one would be. Uh, it's a match we talked about with Thomas Burrington that he said was one of his favorite matches, a previous guest of ours. Go check that podcast out if you haven't. Thomas Burrington, the project himself, uh, was one of the first independent matches I've seen, well, I guess when YouTube was first around, which was uh, CM Punk versus Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio. A phenomenal match. Eddie Guerrero ends up going over, um, but definitely worth a watch. You can find it. It's, it's very rare, but it's out there on YouTube. I definitely recommend checking it out. But th- those are just things I can think of off the top of my head that I really love that are outside of WWE. All right. Well, I just wanted to mention two more, and I want to thank Bret Hart and more for the participants that were with, in, with him in uh, both of these incidents. But uh, when Shawn Michaels beat uh, him for the um, during the Ironman match and finally became champion, I followed that the whole entire time. I was a huge Shawn Michaels fan. I didn't really like Bret Hart. I thought he was kind of boring. My dad loved him. He hated Shawn Michaels. Now looking back on it, the fact that Shawn Michaels mooned kids, that's probably part of the reason why. I didn't really think anything of it, obviously, as a child. Um, but that whole thing, and then Stone Cold Steve Austin, him having the uh, turn uh, during WrestleMania 13, one of my favorite matches of all time, and one of my favorite just stories involved in the match, the fact that they just did all of it, you know, they called it all and made this Beautiful, perfect match. Uh, call it in the ring, and it was a, a, a blast. But, um, yeah, all right. Well, well thank you uh, for that, that wonderful uh, trip down memory lane, uh, Corey. Uh, we did have other questions, and I'll kind of briefly just ask you. Um, one of them was from Greg of asking about um, how we liked uh, Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre teaming up. And I'll just say that I think that it's actually read a – pretty beneficial to both guys because they're both you know kind of on the verge of being over like the fans definitely like both of them I think Drew's a little bit better because 
I don't know. I think that a lot of people are just kind of not bored of Dolph Ziggler, but kind of burnt out of him. But this could be beneficial. It was funny because I think that Drew actually called a better promo than him on SmackDown or on uh, Raw. But I do like the combination. And I'm going to call him D-Next until the whole thing doesn't work out. I know there's people saying that Big Cass and Drew McIntyre should switch their positions right now. But then I think you would definitely be going for for a uh, Diesel and Sean thing a little bit too much. I guess it's right now it's a Diesel, it's a Triple H and Sean thing, so it's not much of a difference. But I can see why you see that because Drew's gotten such a push in NXT. But just wait. I think that whatever they're doing, I don't think it's necessarily just going to be tag. I think that we're going to see potential with two of them. Chris, how do you feel? Uh, I'm more of show me, I guess, at this point, because I don't really care like, I don't see either of them as top superstars, which I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but uh, I just don't see Drew McIntyre as a top superstar when he's on NXT. I've talked about it on the podcast before. And Dolph Ziggler, while he's really good in the ring um, and can be good on promo, uh, has been shit on for so long that I don't think the fans actually care as much as they think they care anymore outside of the fans that are just pure wrestling work the fans that actually wa- like watching him work in the ring outside of Royal Rumbles, which I think everybody hates. Um, I think they're going to fall into a Seamus Cesaro role, unfortunately, um, until they break up. And hopefully that breakup gets Drew McIntyre over because I just don't see them at this point pushing Dolph Ziggler. I just don't see it happening. I think Dolph should leave. I've said that multiple times. I think Dolph would be better off going somewhere else and doing something else at this point in his career. If he if he really wants to reach like top echelon and be mentioned in PWI top ten or whatever, I think now would be the time. Yeah. I I agree with you. I just think it's funny, it's kinda of like the reverse of uh Bobby L- or Bobby Lashley. Bobby R- uh, Drew was, was was over in NXT as a baby face and now he's a heel. I whatever. That type of stuff. It's like just go with if it's not broke, don't try to fix it to me. Uh, all right, so Randy also had for us, uh, you know, with Samoa Joe going to SmackDown, uh, do you think that that means that he's going to get a major push? And I will say that I do. Um, I think that he has – I think a lot of people, I guess, I, I could see why they're not too happy about him leaving. But on Raw, I unfortunately – in the landscape of things, him becoming universal champion, I think he has a better chance of becoming the WWE champion, which honestly has more prestige to me. I'd want that over the two, but I understand he's a bigger dude, but still you get him on SmackDown, you get him against Daniel Bryan, you get him against Shinsuke Nakamura again, you know, like they were in NXT, you get him against uh, AJ Styles, like they were in TNA, you know, you can do all that type of stuff. Uh, On raw, he would have been competing with Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, the stuff that he just dealt with. And even though he still pulled himself back in the limelight, you know, with his promo skills and his great wrestling, outside of injury, he was also just pushed back a lot and forced to lose to Brock Lesnar. Um, so I think this is actually beneficial. What do you think, Chris? I think it's very beneficial for Samoa Joe because I don't think that they know how to book him on Raw. But on SmackDown, you have three obvious answers for Samojo, which is going to be Daniel Bryan, uh, as you said, um, obviously Nakamura. I think people would want to see that, just this, their balls-out, strong-hitting style against each other. And then, you know, 
the creme de la creme, him versus AJ Styles, which, like I said earlier, is one of my favorite feuds of all time, him, him, AJ Styles, and Christopher Daniels mixing it up. And maybe you do that, and you replace Christopher Daniels with, like, a Daniel Bryan. And that'd be really, really fun. That's a pretty good replacement. That's one hell of a replacement if he's ready to go. So um, I think it's very smart, and I think you have a perfect heel in Samoa Joe or perfect face if you want to go the route of him kind of taking over where Kevin Owens was to be a heel versus uh, Shane McMahon and maybe Daniel Bryan to some extent. I think there's some cool things you could do there. But uh, Samoa Joe can play whatever role you give him. And uh, I definitely think he'll get a push on SmackDown. That roster is kind of small for top talent. The top talent's always at the very, very top. And I think uh, Samoa Joe will stand out a lot, especially when it comes to promos against someone like AJ Styles or Nakamura. Uh, Daniel Bryan's probably the exception just because he's just super, he's always going to be super fucking over. Uh, But if you're comparing him to like a AJ Styles or a Nakamura, he's going to nail them on promos all the time and kind of, sound fucking awesome while he's doing it and while they book him like a monster he could be super over I, I do see a big push coming for him for him to go to Smackdown and be willing to do that I don't know if he was asked or not but he's got more of a chance on Smackdown than he does on Raw just because of the pure talent that they have and I'm not saying anything against Smackdown because I think Smackdown has some of the better wrestlers it's more of the fact Raw is top heavy and it, it has been for a while you have Brock Lesnar you have Roman Reigns you have Braun Strowman um then you have your smaller guys like Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. And at some point you have to throw Joe in there somewhere and having Joe be the monster on SmackDown makes sense, especially now that they moved Baron Corbin out. So I, I think there's a huge stance. You'll get a, a, a really good Samoa Joe push. Absolutely. Um, I think that we should go over some of this, uh, largest, longest Royal Rumble, whatever the fuck it's called, the longest Royal Rumble of all time. Which will start off while we're at work, Chris. I believe it starts off at like 11 o'clock and will go on for six hours. Uh, so it will probably be on when I get out of work live still. Um, that's, a, that's a long pay-per-view during the daytime too. All right, let's start off with the Cruiserweight Championship. Now that we know who the contestant is going against Cedric Alexander for the gold, uh, it's Kalisto. Yeah, Mustafa Ali didn't win. Drew Gulak didn't win. Kalisto got his ass over here, which I don't know if there's a reason why Mustafa Ali isn't the one. I would assume that that would probably be the smarter person to go from. Uh, but then again, I don't really know exactly how it works over there. I'm trying to be as PC as I possibly can right now. But all I'm trying to say is, like, maybe that's the reason why Mustafa Ali's not in it, or I am surprised that he's not in it based on that whole thing. Uh, but either way, it's, it's Kalisto. Uh, to me, Cedric's definitely going to win. Kalisto's already had the belt. This shows me if, – if it was Mustafa Ali, I could have seen him winning the title, even Drew Gulak to an extent, because it would suck for Cedric. But, you know, those are the three guys, it seems, that are the biggest right now in uh, 205 Live. Kalisto seemed like he was someone that they were trying to get the friggin' championship belt off of. Uh, so, yeah. Who, who do you think is going to win, Chris? I would think that if you're not a huge wrestling country in general, like not a lot of wrestling comes to you, you would want to see at least one luchador. So from that standpoint, I guess Kalisto makes sense. Um I do think that you have a chance of Kalisto winning here, and the reason I'll say that is because I don't think there will be another title change on this card. Um, 
I've kind of flopped on this Brock Lesnar Roman thing. I just I just don't see him putting the belt on Roman right now. Uh, so you could see it switch, and it's more because they don't really care about 205 Live as much as they should. But hopefully Cedric retains, but I think this might be your surprise upset of the night with Kalisto winning. All right, let's go to the next one, the Raw Tag Team Championship. The Bar, who, remember, are currently on SmackDown against Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. This, I think I'm the most confident out of any of the matches. Um, and if it doesn't happen like this, I'm going to be very confused. The Bar did allude to the fact that they could just go back to Raw if that happens. So I guess that's in there. But Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt are going to be our tag team champions. And um, I'm wondering exactly what's going to happen. I, I, I found it funny that, you know, uh, Bray tweeted about his brother and, and Curtis Axel uh, joining them uh, with the whole family. But uh, it could lead to other things. I don't really know what the hell is going on. Chris, who do you think is going to win? Madden, Bray Wyatt. Uh, and I think it'll be a pretty quick win, probably like a five- to eight-minute match uh, with some shenanigans involved. And it's just going to build to uh, – I, I think Bray – Dallas involved to the Hardy compound and I still think there's going to be interaction between Jeff and Matt Hardy just because they filmed that stuff off site anyways and they both live in the same area so um, not worried too much about that but I do think that uh, Ray and Matt are picking up the win here and getting the titles Alright the other uh, tag team titles uh, for ta- yeah the Smackdown tag team champions the Bludgeon Brothers against the Usos uh, after all the stuff's going on with Naomi and the fact that they tricked them, like they're the Scooby, Scooby-Doo gang on uh, SmackDown, I think the Bludgeon Brothers are going to win and they're going to fake hurting Jey Uso or something like that where he gets hurt in the match and he's out for two weeks or whatever. And Naomi's all sad or that she couldn't save him. I don't know. What do you think? I think it would be great if they booked it. The Bludgeon Brothers actually hurt the Usos or one of the Usos uh, and it goes to like a DQ or something. So the Usos get another title shot, and then the Usos pass it down to New Day, and New Day faces the Bludgeon Brothers um, just out of sheer respect or something. I think that would be a really cool storyline. I don't think they're going to do that, but I do think the Bludgeon Brothers would win. But that's how I would book it. Just have the Usos pass that title shot down to the New Day, have the New Day beat the Bludgeon Brothers, get back to Usos versus New Day, which is whatever. I like that. I like that a lot. All right, U.S. Championship. Jeff Hardy, who's a champion, going against Jinder Mahal. Unless they are switching the championships, which I would love that. Um, it, because if Miz has it, or Samoa Joe, that adds a lot of stuff, especially Miz, you know, eventually going against Daniel Bryan. Um, and you would have the belts that really matter on the SmackDown <laughs> together. Uh, actually, the U.S. belts got some prestige to it, too. But anyways... I could see Jinder winning, but I'm going to have to go Jeff Hardy because, to me, they're not going to switch around everything. I, I don't know. This, these are the, the, the Intercontinental and the U.S. are the ones that are the hardest to predict. I flip-flop on this because I don't know what the crowd's going to do. I could see Jinder winning the U.S. title here and then either Miz or Samoa Joe winning, which I think I predicted last week. And then the opposite of that is I could see – well, no, that's what I said last week. I think Samoa Joe might cost Finn or Seth the title, and Miz might skate up the ladder and get the title back. So I think he might get a title change here. 
So I will flop on my first answer about Cedric Alexander. He's probably going to retain because I, I think he might get two title changes here and just flip the titles back. I God, it's so weird. So, all right, so the Intercontinental title is on Raw, Raw. right now, right? So, okay, yep. so you may see those two flip. So, so basically, I don't know, just the Miz, Jinder's the Miz has to be in there. Either either Jinder's going to win, and that means the other match, either Samoa Joe or or um, or the Miz has to win the championship because that's how it works out. Or both Seth Rollins and Jeff Hardy retain their titles because they got to flip. You know, they can't have both titles on the same products. That's 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 the weird thing. All right, let's keep on going. Wouldn't it be both if they? It wouldn't be great if they both lost someone on the opposite brand. I mean, it would be very interesting I, how they would do that. It wouldn't be predictable like it is now. Yeah, but I guess it's I, not predictable not though. It, it's kind of not. I These are the two that I look at and go, ah, I don't know. But uh, I, I think well, Samoa Joe's choking some bitches out in that ladder match, hundred percent. But oh, yeah, it's going to be a great, <laughs> it's going to be a great wrestling match regardless of it. Um, all right, so Undertaker versus Rusev. Uh, casket match. The only reason that it's going to be longer than just like a short ass match because it's a casket match. I think that it's not going to be that long still though. Um, Rusev's going to get. Some, I think he's going to get a little bit of offense in. They're not going to like completely screw him over. But who knows? Maybe he pissed off people in the back, and Undertaker's going to go out there and beat him and throw him in the casket in less than a minute. Chris, what do you think? Oh, Undertaker. I don't think it win. has any. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it has anything to do with Rusev pissing anyone off. I think it has to do with building the Undertaker up for something bigger, like we talked about. Um, maybe even Aleister Black, which is what I alluded to last week. Uh, I think Undertaker fucking buries Rusev probably five minutes just because of the casket gimmick, but it's going to be about the same as the John Cena match. It's going to be very quick. Right, but if Lana gets in the way, Triple she'll H. catch a. If Lana gets in the way, she's catching a choke slam. Like almost guaranteed. You better not. Better not succumb <laughs> to the darkness of my choke slam. <laughs> Michelle, come get Lana. Uh, all right, John Cena versus Triple H. Um, I think that John Cena is going to win. But I also think John Cena is going to win. It doesn't make sense to have him lose unless Triple H is super over in Saudi Arabia. Um, I think John Cena is probably going to get the W. He needs it. It's funny that you say that, but I am actually sure. Um, the IC match we already <laughs> talked about. Um, the WWE Championship, AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. I want Shinsuke to win. That's fucked up, but I kind of want him to win. I think it would be crazy. Um, and add to the story. What do you think, Chris? I think AJ Styles wins with a like low blow into some uh, one of his moves after a ref takes a bump or something to get the little bit of the revenge angle. Um, I think they're going to switch down. this title on this pay-per-view, I guess. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, if that happens, I feel like this next match for the Universal title, that Brock Lesnar is going to retain the belt. If, if Shinsuke wins, I feel like that could mean that um, the Universal Championship, I don't think Roman Reigns is going to win that. I don't think they would change both titles. So Brock Lesnar, regardless, I feel is going to win. Or I mean, Roman Reigns, regardless, I feel is going to win that match. I, 
I really don't know where the fuck you can keep on going with this. I'm so over this whole entire thing. Like I, I keep on saying, I feel bad for Roman and all of it. So he's a good worker, and I, I don't think he's that bad, and he gets a lot of flack from all this, and it's just not worth it. And Braun Strowman, Braun Strowman, Braun Strowman. God. I mean, shit, give it to Elias, for Christ's sakes. I'm sick of Brock Lesnar with the fucking title. Chris, what do you think? I think they should have put the title on Samoa Joe. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think Brock Lesnar I had a feeling you were going to say that. And uh, if he doesn't retain, it'll be because Bobby Lashley broke the cage or some shit, or Braun broke the cage, and it ends up into a clusterfuck, and somehow Roman wins. Being that Braun's not on the show... Roman might walk out because Braun, the fact this is a cage match and there's no reason for either of these guys to be in the cage means that there's a gimmick coming. So be prepared for some kind of cage gimmick. Cage gimmick? It sounds like something Nicolas Cage would do in a movie. Um, Greatest Royal Rumble. I'll list the uh, combatants that we know of right now. Uh, Dan O'Brien, Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio Jr., Shane McMahon, Kurt Angle, The Great Khali, Braun Strowman, Bray Wyatt, Bobby Lashley, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Kane, The New Day, Baron Corbin, Apollo Crews, Shelton Benjamin, Sin Cara, Elias, Chad Gable, Goldust, Titus O'Neil, Mojo Raleigh, and Dolph Ziggler. Obviously, there's going to be a lot more than that, uh, up to 50 people. Um, there's going to be ones that are, are I, I think there's going to be like one or two that are like Saudi Arabia wrestlers and there's going to be a lot of people that we don't know and they've already given us a bunch of like legends and big names within this whole entire thing I will still say this is going to go between two people Chris and that's Braun Strowman and Daniel Bryan because I think they could benefit the most out of this but then again I don't know Mo- uh, Mojo Raleigh I mean this is not really for anything both Mojo Raleigh and Sami Zayn are both uh, Muslim, uh, whatchamacallit. So I could see them maybe doing that. I have no idea, but I feel like you would give it to the guy that could benefit the most from this. And right now, Braun Strowman and Daniel Bryan are respective the biggest guys on their brand overwise. Uh, Who do you think is going to get it? So I thought about this long and hard, and I think my honest answer is the person I would personally give it to is Kevin Owens. And the reason why is because he's the biggest heel you're going to have in this match. You can have the Chris Jericho, Kevin Owens exchange. You can have the Sami Zoan, Kevin Owens exchange. You can have Kevin Owens cower outside the ring, get the win. I think it would be a really good heel move. Now, if they're going to go for, like, we don't actually care about this Royal Rumble because it's a trophy, uh, I think Daniel Bryan wins it. Um, just a happy-go-lucky moment. And... Uh, I think Daniel Bryan's probably my number one pick overall, which I think I picked last week as well. So, um, yes, 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 I guess. I guess. Well, I'm going to go Braun Strowman. So we'll have to find out next week how this whole entire thing went down. If we find out any magical women's matches that are just not off the card for some reason, um, maybe have like their own pre-show with Renee. That's going to be all really weird. We'll talk more about that next week, but um, we'll go over the whole thing. I think they. I'm hoping this. I, I'm hoping this is not just going to be out of continuity or a house show. Like there, there's going to be meaningful stuff that happens on this, and I can't wait for the 50 man Royal Rumble. I'll pass it to you, Chris. Um, why don't you say goodbye to the people and uh, make whatever statement you're about to make? 
I will. And what I was going to say is on the night you're going to have, or the day you're going to have this giant thing, I think it would have been really cool to have like an all women's pay-per-view somewhere else that wasn't, especially knowing that this was coming up. Um, you can't predict political situations. You can't predict cultural situations, but you can predict your schedule. And I think there was better ways to handle it. than WWE did. I think it could have gave your fans both. Um, just to show like, Hey, look, we're trying kind of thing. Outside of that, I hope everyone has a wonderful week. I love that you guys tune in to listen to us. And if you have any questions, please post them up. You can reach me at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Um, and also Geek Vibes Live on Facebook, obviously. Yep, uh, we are always here every Wednesday. Well, not always, but most of the time uh, from 7 till 9 o'clock, guys. Uh, yeah, had a great show with you. And, uh, Definitely enjoyed everyone's uh, wonderful listening skills while me and Chris just talked and rambled for a while. So um, hope you guys all have a wonderful night and stay geeky, San Diego. <laughs> and my audio clip is not working. Your well, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> you suck. You suck. No, I'm just kidding. You guys are awesome. Bye. Bye.